0: not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at SeventhGeneration.com.
2: Hello and welcome to the Nutrition Diva podcast. I'm your host, Monica Reinagle. Nutrition Diva listener Layla writes, Recently, I've been reading a bit about L-DOPA in foods and supplements. There's also something called the dopamine diet. However, I'm struggling to make sense of the information. Can dopamine really boost your mood, or is this just another fad? Leila, I think the reason you may be struggling to make sense of this information is that a lot of what's circulating around the internet about diet and dopamine doesn't actually make a lot of sense. Let's start with the idea that foods or supplements that provide L-DOPA could improve your mood. One of dopamine's primary functions in the brain is to help coordinate and control our muscle movements. The tremors and jerky movements that are typical of Parkinson's disease, for example, are caused by low dopamine production in the brain. A drug called levodopa or L-DOPA can help reduce Parkinson's symptoms by increasing dopamine levels in the brain. A natural form of L-DOPA is also found in a tropical legume called the velvet bean. In fact, extracts from the velvet bean have been used in traditional Ayurvedic medicine to treat Parkinson's disease. However, I would not recommend adding velvet beans or L-DOPA supplements to your diet in an effort to raise your dopamine levels. For one thing, L-dopa, whether it's coming from the velvet bean or from a lab, can be neurotoxic and cause significant side effects. Now, the dopamine diet, which is a popular book by British chef Tom Carriage, doesn't include any recipes for velvet beans, but it does claim to boost your mood by increasing dopamine levels in the brain. Now diets that are low in refined carbohydrates and other highly processed foods have been correlated with a lower risk of depression. And the dopamine diet does focus on whole and minimally processed foods, but there's very little evidence that we can change our dopamine levels by manipulating our diet. And more to the point, the idea that boosting your dopamine levels would lift your mood seems to be based on a misunderstanding about how dopamine works in the brain. Joining me today to help sort all of this out is Daria Rose. Daria is a neuroscientist by training with a deep interest in food, nutrition, and behavior. I first got to know Daria years ago through her Summer Tomato blog, and then she wrote a terrific book called Foodist and launched a popular podcast under the same name. And her new podcast, The Daria Rose Show, is due to launch later this year. Here's our conversation, and at the end, I'll be back with some takeaways welcome to the nutrition diva podcast daria it's so exciting to be here monica hi so there are some crazy ideas floating around out there about dopamine and food and the brain and i thought who better to bring onto the podcast to talk about this with than a neuroscientist who also does a lot of work around food and eating behavior so thanks so much for being game
1: I'm excited about it. This is something that I uh, talk about sometimes. So it's fun that
2: it's coming up. I think a lot of people are talking about it, but I'm not sure everyone is making sense. And so that's what we're going to try to (laughs) sort through today. And let's just start with one claim that I've seen a lot. In fact, there's a whole book organized around this idea that increasing your dopamine levels Will boost your mood. Will make you happier. So let me get the neuroscientist perspective on this. What is the relationship between dopamine levels and your mood, your perceived mood? So mood
1: isn't necessarily associated very strongly with dopamine. So dopamine is a neurotransmitter in the brain that helps you understand how a, a reaction that is happening based on your behavior is. How, how much reward there is in that. That's, that's not the same as mood. It's kind of, it's a little bit of learning. It's a little bit of, uh, conditioned behavior. It's more, it's more associated with a feeling of wanting more. So Mm -hmm. dopamine teaches you that this was nice or not, and we should do more of it or not.
2: So it recognizes that something is rewarding and then kind of puts a marker down for you, like, let's remember this. Let's do this again. Exactly. But the reward, the feeling of reward is not created by the dopamine, is it? So for a long time,
1: we actually did think that dopamine must be associated with feeling good because, for instance, if you give a rat cocaine, it will just push the cocaine lever and keep pushing it until it dies, (laughs) you know, to to the exclusion of food and water and and things. So the idea was, oh, this this must feel so good that it is ignoring these other important things. But actually it it's not a good feeling to crave something. Mm -hmm. Right? Like if you ever had a craving and not been able to get what you want, like it's nice when you get what you want. But there are other molecules in the brain that are associated with feeling satisfied and content, and it's the opposite of dopamine. Yeah, it's really more of a serotonin pathway that you want for, for feeling
2: better. That's an interesting distinction between feeling good and content, and feeling like you want something, and that's kind of more what the dopamine is triggering sounds like. Yeah,
1: exactly. So when I think of how I want to feel good, I would never think I want more dopamine. To me, I, mm-hmm. that to me, dopamine is saying you're unsatisfied, you're unsatisfied, you need more, you need more, you need more. And that's not a comfortable feeling uh, in my, <laughs>
2: from Nor my does experience. It generally, lead to good results,
1: <laughs> right? And also, yeah, if it goes haywire, it can lead to very self-destructive results, like that poor.
2: It's it's so interesting that you say that um, high dopamine levels are we experience as an increase in cravings because another thing that we see floated around a lot on the internet is that low dopamine levels in the brain is what it leads to food cravings or other cravings and that therefore raising our dopamine levels with food could reduce these cravings. That kind of makes no sense, does it? Yeah, that makes no sense. (laughs) (laughs) It's the opposite.
1: So there is this idea of tolerance, which may be what they're talking about. If you are firing those pathways over and over again, what'll happen is the neurons will start to say, whoa, 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 we have a lot of good dopamine going on here. So it will start the neurons themselves, the postsynaptic neurons are called the downstream neurons that activate in, in response to dopamine will start decreasing their response. So mm-hmm. that means it's start, you would need more dopamine to get the same amount of activation in those neurons, but just thinking about this purely in terms of dopamine and feeling better is, I think, a very misguided way of thinking about it. And if what you're trying to do is feel more content and feel better, you don't want to be focused on dopamine pathways at all. If anything, you want to distract yourself from those and focus more on things serotonin pathways, things that build this sense of contentment and feeling satisfied and having enough and being and having gratitude for what you actually have, because that's gonna lead to less compulsive behavior, a much more feeling of calm and satisfaction and not that that craving and feelings that I think anybody talking about food and diet and mood want want less of that.
2: Exactly. So you said two interesting things there. One was about when you are overstimulating, when you have too much dopamine signaling going on because of maybe an overindulgence in those things that produce dopamine as a response to them, that you kind of become more tolerant to them. It's almost like overexposure to those chemicals cause the cells to kind of put their little cellular hands over their tiny little cellular ears. and be Like you're hurting me. <laughs> Turn down the volume. Exactly. So our bodies don't like they don't like it when we try to change
1: how they respond to things and when they do when we do it'll it'll adjust and regulate so that it stays back it goes back to kind of where it wants to be and right so you're going to have it's an uphill battle <laughs> to try to manipulate these sorts of things in the brain
2: even if we could again there's such limited evidence that we actually can affect our dopamine levels through manipulating our diet You said another really interesting thing about our behavior and, you know, the behaviors that we indulge in. And I think that's also really key because when we are trying to control our behavior around food or, or we're maybe failing to control our behavior around food, it's so tempting to blame our neurochemistry or blame the food that hijacks our neurochemistry. And sometimes I think that's at the expense of focusing enough on those cognitive behavioral aspects, like, how can I limit my exposure to these sorts of foods so that I don't have to resist them or waste a lot of energy thinking about whether I am or I'm not going to have them? Or even on the cognitive level, our beliefs about whether or not we have control over our responses. If we're convinced that the food is in charge, because it has this power over our neurochemistry that nobody can control. That really does take us out of the equation. So absolutely. Yeah. I really strongly
1: agree with that, that the behavior drives whether or not your dopamine neurons are firing, not the other way around.
2: Oh, that's perfectly said. Thank you. And then you also mentioned about this idea of tolerance and like over signaling of the dopamine pathways. And that kind of brings up another trend that we've seen a lot, especially over this last year, and that is the trend of dopamine fasting. And it's based on this idea that if you limit your exposure to rewarding activities, like alcohol, like screens, maybe video games or gambling or sex or Cocaine, whatever, or brownies. If you limit your exposure and you don't give your brain that reward, that it will somehow reset your dopamine responses, and that this will then reduce your dependence on those reward stimulating activities. Does that kind of line up with the actual neuroscience? Uh,
1: sort of, but again, if you're ignoring the serotonin component, you're gonna just be miserable, right? So, and and from what I understand, when I was reading about. This is that people are going really far, as, as so far as to you know stop engaging with other people and you know completely shutting off from it's like a sensory
2: isolation tank or something. Yeah,
1: and, and and isolating themselves from anything pleasurable at all. And I think that's a bad approach because it, again, some of those things are going to be driving the serotonin feel good pathways. Like mm-hmm. human interaction is one of the strongest things that increases your sort of serotonin tone and helps you actually stabilize your mood and actually feel content with what you have and not feel like you have to go pound a lot of chocolate because you're depressed. (laughs) So, uh, you don't want to be eliminating those and you want to be replacing Uh the compulsive, not the compulsive activities that don't serve you well with ones that are healthy and sustainable and that do serve you really
2: well in the long term. So it's not about removing all the rewards from your life, it's about maybe choosing more constructive rewards or more productive rewards. Exactly.
0: Totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at SeventhGeneration.com.
2: Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. We talked a little bit about how dopamine is involved in the process of addiction, or we referenced it. We have all of this data from the functional MRI machines that show that certain foods light up the reward centers of the brain, and that trifecta of sweet, salty, and some sort of fat lights up the reward centers of the brain more dramatically than fresh fruits and vegetables. And some people then interpret that to mean, well, then we can become addicted to those foods in the same way that we become addicted to heroin. And There's a lot of debate in the nutrition community and in the neuroscience community about whether that's accurate. But I think my question is whether it's helpful. You know, I think that it can be really defeating if it reinforces that notion that we have no control over our responses to food.
1: Right. Food is not cigarettes. You need food.
2: But at the same time, I have also observed, both personally and folks that I work with, that when we overindulge in really hyperpalatable foods, it can definitely make other foods less appealing. And so, if we were to reduce our consumption or avoid those foods for a time, it actually can help us increase our appreciation of healthier foods.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, that's true. And I, yeah, like you said, I've definitely experienced that personally. You know, I, as I did my own personal healthy journey, foods that used to be really appealing to me have become, I mean, at this point, gross. <laughs> this, yeah. is, this is really not appealing, but it was definitely a process and not an easy one, and it takes time. This is why in, in my work, I focus so much on habits, because habits are very powerful. And the dopamine system is 100% working in those habits. There is a reward. You're always getting some kind of reward mm-hmm. when you're overindulging in even food. And the, the question is whether it's the reward you think it is. Right. Right, so a lot of the time is like you're really just procrastinating, or you're really just feeling bad about yourself, or you're you're avoiding some other thing that's making you uncomfortable, and you, your brain has you've taught your brain that the like binging on sugar right now will make it go away for a few minutes, and and it, it's not because the food is so good and that you're enjoying it so much. Have you, I mean, if you ever talk to somebody who does binge eat, they don't enjoy it. You know, it's not fun, um, and and not to mention all the shame and and self defeating things that comes with it. But you know, so there's there, it's a, it's a tricky thing. Like there's some there's something going on there for sure uh, with with the dopamine pathway. But I wouldn't necessarily approach it like I would approach an addiction to cigarettes
2: or, or or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, because it really does close off a lot of really valuable tools that we can pull in if we are acknowledging, yes, I have control here. I have agency. I can make some choices. I can change my environment in ways that are going to help me make better choices. But I think it's also reassuring to know that, yes, if I can get some distance between these things that maybe have are creating that dopamine tolerance, if that would be the right way to express it, um, that it can increase my enjoyment. Of foods that right now don't feel completely appealing to me. I see this all the time with people who either over over consume sugar or over consume artificial sweeteners, Mm -hmm. which they sometimes think of as being sort of a free food, like who gets hurt there. But when, but they're very hyper sweet and really overstimulate the taste buds, if nothing else. And something like a piece of fresh fruit just has no appeal, has no flavor, brings very Mm -hmm. little reward until they get some distance from that. Yeah, those other so, foods.
1: Yeah, so this is uh, this is why I want to bring up serotonin again and it's also why I want to I, in my practice I when I'm when I'm trying to get people to change how they eat and feel better about how they eat. That's why I always focus on foods that are really in season and delicious because you do need a reward, mm-hmm. right? And and it becomes different. It's funny. It's when you start switching to very nutritious foods, and especially when they are in season. Because when they are in season, and you're getting peak summer produce, peak winter produce, peak spring. Oh, it's so nice! Right now, I have peas for the first time yesterday. Oh, magic! Um, then you, it's a different kind of reward. Mm-hmm. and, but it is there. And, and then you can form a new habit on top of it. And when you start to feel what it feels like to eat food that really nourishes you and makes you feel fantastic. And then you go again and you eat something really, really sweet or yeah, fake sugar or something like that, that contrast will suddenly hit you. And you're like, oh, I see this. This is actually the, the contentment that I feel and the, the satisfaction that I feel from eating this other food is a very different sort of motivation than that, you know, fast hit, mm-hmm. uh, sugar craving, like that whole cycle. It feels so different. And, and definitely for me, that pretty much encapsulates the difference between how it feels to have a dopamine driven response versus a serotonin driven response.
2: Right. But that difference between those really fresh, delicious, nutritious foods may not be apparent on your very first salad after a steady diet diet of fast food. It may take a little training for your brain and your body, not to mention your palate, to adjust to that. So we have to be patient with ourselves. But I love the distinction that you've made uh, throughout our conversation between the role of dopamine and the role of serotonin how we can leverage those things, and also just this balance between trying to understand and then play around with our brain chemistry a little bit, but then also just operating in that cognitive and behavioral realm, which is where we actually have a lot more agency. That's that's right. That's
1: the main place we can have power is changing our habits. I can't think of
2: a better place to leave it than there. But before you go... You have a new podcast that you're going to be springing on the world in the not too distant future. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, I'm really
1: excited. So, I am launching the Daria Rose show. I have I had a show called Foodist and I loved it and it's very it's not too different from that. I just have a more broad range of topics. So, instead of focusing exclusively on food and health, I use my scientific background to tackle bigger subjects that that are interesting to me. So, you know, I have, I'm a mom now. I have lots of other responsibilities now and the world has changed a lot Mm. in the last few years. And I just, I have a lot of other things I want to talk about and I think it'll be really fun. So I'm excited about it.
2: All right. When can we start looking for that in our podcatchers? Really soon. We will watch for that. Thank you so much for joining me today, Daria. It's been great to catch up with you.
1: Oh, thanks so much, Monica.
2: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Daria as much as I did. Obviously the role of dopamine and creating both desire and reinforcing habits is complex, but here are a few of the main ideas that I took away from our conversation. Number one, improving the quality of your diet could improve your mood, but that probably has very little to do with dopamine. Number two, dopamine helps your brain remember which activities are rewarding and then motivates you to repeat them. Number three, the primary feeling state associated with dopamine is not satisfaction, but wanting. And number four, if you want to feel contentment, you want to seek out activities that increase serotonin, not dopamine. To learn more about the fascinating connections between the brain, habits and happiness, be sure to watch out for Daria's new podcast, The Daria Rose Show, which will be premiering later this year. And please also check out my Change Academy podcast with Brock Armstrong, in which we focus on creating lasting behavior change. You'll find that wherever you listen. I want to thank Daria Rose for her contribution to today's show and also thanks to my team at Macmillan Audio, including my producer, Nathan Semmes, as well as Emily Miller, Morgan Ratner, Michelle Margulis, and our director, Kathy Doyle. And a very special thank you and farewell to my editor, Karen Hertzberg, who is departing Quick and Dirty Tips to work on some new projects. I've so enjoyed working with Karen over the last couple of years, and I wish her all the best in her new endeavors. And finally, thanks to you, listening i hope you have a great week
0: human nature can get a little messy but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97 percent bio-based formula for when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken and white pants is a great idea totally not speaking from experience let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of Seventh Generation. Find Seventh Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at SeventhGeneration.com. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you
2: graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future
1: differently at Capella.edu.